I'm your host, Maria Maldonado-Smith, and this is Creating the Vision, a podcast about living the life you envisioned and leaning into your passions, power, and purpose. Each week, we'll hear from guests discussing their journey to living and creating the vision for their life. We'll talk all things vision imagery, goal setting, and accountability so that you feel empowered and inspired to take action, turning your plan into the life you've always dreamed of living. Welcome, visionary. I'm so glad you're here. And welcome to Creating the Vision. This week's episode is uh, a departure for all my females because I have a male. Woohoo! I kind have of. Jeff Mullen out in the house and kind of. <laughs> and man, I am so excited to introduce you guys to him. He's the executive producer and head, uh, b- head of business development for Riverside Entertainment based out of Nashville and Los Angeles. Yeah. But more than that, he is a dear friend of my husband and I. He and his wife are two of our coolest friends that we have. Oh, thank you. So welcome, Jeff. Well, thank you. I'm (laughs) happy to be here. We have actually been talking about this particular episode for a while. Um, Just kind of going back and forth. I feel like every time we chit chat. Yeah, you and I just like we end up in like an hour long conversation just discussing entrepreneurship and business and life. And I'm pretty confident that we solve all the world's problems in that time as well, because we are just, we are masterminds. Yes. But for our listeners who don't know you and don't know what this awesome, awesome job and role that you have and kind of what you have built, I mean, this is called creating the vision, but the irony is that I think in throughout some of our conversations, one of the things that has come up pretty consistently that you've shared is that you weren't necessarily sure that you really were creating the vision. That was something was being created along the way, but where you are now is not necessarily where you ever thought you would end up. So I'm going to toss it over to you because I want you one to just kind of introduce yourself and tell a little bit about your background. And I just want to dive into your fascinating story of kind of where you came from and where you are now. Awesome. I'm going to give you a lot of points to edit out because if you go into my backstory, it has so many different narratives in so many different directions that I, I don't even know where to start. We'll start with a context in that my mom and my sister were very pivotal points in my life. My dad was around. He died early of dementia and he after my mom's divorce, he faded off in terms of being really close with me and, and things. So a lot of my shaping comes from my mom and my sister, especially. My mom was a very devoted worker back in the day that when women were told, you know, you're pregnant, your your job's at home now. And my mom was a fighter and said, no, it's not. I'm going to be a self-sufficient woman. And for a lot of my youth, my mom was dating and doing things, but as a single woman. So I grew up with, you know, my sister being my best friend and my mentor and things like that. She's four years older than me. And so a lot of what I will talk about, you will see the context in given that I I grew up reading Cosmopolitan because that's the magazine that was on my, my, dressers from my sister or things that I was just like, okay, this is it. So that'll give you some context into the backstory, but I also learned how to be so smooth. So smooth. Oh yeah. I mean, it's an skill set that I developed over many, many years and I still don't know how to do it. (laughs) I was voted most likely to be surrounded by a pack of women in school at one point in terms of career. I struggled greatly with college. I fell out of college in my first year. I ended up going to work at the Eastman Kodak Company, like everyone in Rochester, New York did. I was supposed to retire there and, you know, do the whole small town. This is the business that you work at and, and just work in production, making films and things. And in terms of making films, I mean, processing emulsions, not actually doing anything that is relevant to what I do today what I wanted to do for a living. And so I did a million things. I did, I worked for Larry King as a security guard. 
I worked at a bank. I worked at Wells Fargo for a bit doing home mortgages. I worked for a company called Barefoot Dreams as a national sales manager. I just worked at a t-shirt shop. I, I did every job there was. My vision board would be very messy in terms of that. And I will, I will give you a break there because I, I want to ask more questions and then I'll get into how Riverside evolved and things. Well, and I think the interesting thing we've talked about your, we've talked about your, like your past and like your career and everything. I mean, I think at one time you said volleyball instructor, ski instructor, I think, or like mm -hmm. volleyball player mm -hmm. or something like that. I mean, there's like, I remember some conversations over Thanksgiving one year, we're like talking about all the things that, yeah. And I love it. It was just, I, I think to, to what we were talking about earlier was all of the things along the way, it might not have felt that they were adding up. It might've felt like it was disjointed, but that I think that's the cool thing about when we do create the vision for our life, because it's going to look different for everyone and there is no linear path to success. And, and I would actually think that I wouldn't want a linear path to success. I want to, I want to be multifaceted. And I think that that's what fascinates me about your life and your career and where you are now is that, yeah, it's, it's been anything but that. And so you have had so many different opportunities come your way, but you've taken each of those opportunities. And I'm thinking that there's a story there with how you came into like director of photography and like just just on film sets and stuff like that. So I don't know if you want to share that story because I feel like that's pretty fascinating on just how you started to probably envision or at least somewhat create this vision for your life. Yes. And I absolutely couldn't agree with you more that I was very envious of people that did, I did feel like had a linear path and I was really angry with myself that I didn't have a linear path. And it, there was a lot of resentment with my own self of, why can't you figure this out? And it was, it, it's depressive in, in certain contexts where you're just like, why is it so easy for the person who wants to be a doctor to go to school for four years? And then they know there are however many years and, and become a doctor. It's like, they have a path. They know what it's set forth for them. I don't have that. And I didn't figure this out until I was got in my thirties that what I wanted to do for a living. And it, I stumbled on it in, in all honesty, I, I did finally pick up a, a camera, stills camera, and started taking stills photos at one point in my life. And my sister was like, wow, you're, you're really good at taking stills. You should be a photographer. And I was like, huh, okay. yeah. But it wasn't back in the day when there was Instagram or anything. I can date myself, but yeah, we didn't even have mobile phones when I was doing stills. And then my... <laughs> a job to work at a company called SoapNet. And at that job, they said, do you want to run our video department? And I had basically lied and said, yeah, I know how to do that. And I had no idea what I was doing. My first days on the job were in a big editing bay with patch cords and, and all these video decks and things. And I honestly had to Google um, how to open the program that I had to work in, which was Final Cut Pro. And prior to that, I had to figure out how to turn on a Macintosh computer because I only worked on PC computers. And so I had to call my sister and say, hey, I just got this job. I'm in this office. There's a, a Macintosh computer. I don't know how to turn it on. And I don't know how to work any of this. So I quickly just had to figure out how to do this job. Long story short, that evolved into ABC Digital back in the day. I became a director of photography because of my skills with a camera. I started to pick up a film camera because part of my job was, hey, you're going to go around and film all these students who did a project for SoapNet talking about what they did for their films. And so I had to learn how to use a film camera. So there's 90 hours of me filming the ceiling, reading a manual, figuring out how to work a film camera but I knew basic composition oh and I knew basic things about yeah. stills camera that translated into film camera. So longer story short, that's that was about 12 years at ABC that I was director of photography, producer, and learn how to do what I do in the film industry. All self-taught. And that was out in LA, bullshit. right? That was all, all out in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. 
all yeah. LA. So then what brings you, like, what was the catalyst of bringing you to Nashville? Because that's where we met you. I think we moved like right around the same time you and Brave moved around the same time that Dan and I did. So yeah. yeah. And that's kind of when I mean, our worlds collided through other mutual the, friends. Crazy. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the biggest catalyst for my entire life change is my daughter. When my daughter was one year old, I said to my wife, you know, I was working at ABC. She was working at a, a travel marketing agency. And I was like, I'm not getting to watch her grow up. We're, we're both just dropping her off at daycare going, who's going to pick her up first? Oh, no, you pick her up. I've got to work late and this and that. And I just remembered, you know, not having my dad be that part of my life. And I kind of over overcompensate for that now. And I want to be a big part of my kids' lives. So I said, you know what? Let's just both quit our jobs. I've done a lot of work in, in Nashville, Tennessee for ABC with Luke Bryan and, and all these artists and things year after year. And I'd been out there a handful of times that year for the show Nashville was filming. And I was like, let's just quit our jobs and I'll move there and I'll be a cinematographer and I'll start my own company. And so we did. And I will say that I, I was in a very depressed state because when we got out here, everyone that promised that they would hire me, everyone that promised me work literally wouldn't pick up the phone for two months. I watched our entire savings account deplete. Uh, we had the tiniest apartment we could because I honestly didn't have an income. And so I was like, let's just get something small so we don't have overhead. And I freaked out and mm -hmm. I, I was, I've never been in such a dark state in my life. I, I've never taken such a high risk. I've got a one-year-old daughter sitting next to me at a computer tugging on my arm that wants to play. And I'm sitting here like, I, I got to be on this computer because I got to find, and, and that's totally contradicting why I just left is now I can't play with this daughter that I left mm -hmm. to be with because I now am an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur's time is more taken up than a full-time mm -hmm. job. And so yes. my wife at one point said, you can't let this town do this to you. You're a fighter, go out and fight. And my God, I'm going to cry about that. I fought. I fought very hard. I, I, I got a Google voice number. There was a 615 phone number. So I got the local area code instead of my LA area code. And people started picking up my phone. I started having a ton of coffee meetings. I just fought like hell for the, you know, for my daughter and for my wife to have an income. And a year later, I had so much business. I started a much bigger company. Oh my gosh. Oh man. One, thank you. Because I always say like, I wish entrepreneurs were more real and honest and vulnerable with each other because it's like, for lack of a better term, it becomes this like circle jerk of like how we're so awesome and how we're so freaking amazing. And like, oh, I'm doing this with my business and I'm doing that. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and then you talk to them offline and they're like, I have $72 in my bank account. And I'm like, then why did you just freaking say that you were like crushing the world? Like, why aren't you just being more honest? Like, you know, it's just like the same thing. I mean, I, I, I left two years ago and like it has been harder work ever. Like, honestly, my corporate job was like a million times easier than doing this crap. Like, I mean, but I do it because like I have no, it's not that I even have another choice. Like this is just what I want to do with my life. Like, and I think that kind of to your point, like about you took this big risk, like I was so scared of taking the risk that I I didn't like, I just, I just kept putting it off until it became so loud in my head. Like it was just such a noise that I could not avoid anymore that I'm like, I have got to quit. <laughs> like, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to be here. I haven't wanted to be here for a while. Like I need to go do my own thing. It's what I've always known. I don't know why I have sat here like punishing myself almost doing this job that just is not serving me. And it was a huge risk. It was a, but at the same time, it was so planned, if that makes sense. Like it was a huge risk and it was seemingly like a ripping the band-aid It was calculated. Off. But at the same time, it's like calculated. Yes, it was years in the making. It was years in the making. It's like I keep, keep telling people. But I say all of that because to your point, like there were so many days afterwards that I'm like, what have I just done? <laughs> like, 
should I call them back and ask them if I can have my job back? Because what the F did I just do? Like, what did I just do? And and so there's that, there's all these feelings, like the fear, the doubt, the everything that creeps in. But I think more than anything, it's just understanding that like this entrepreneurship journey or like anytime you go out to do anything on your own, even how, even if it's like becoming a franchise owner of a business, you know, when you buy into something, you are taking a massive risk. And I think there's not enough acknowledgement of like the stress, the fact that like people say all the time, like I get so sick of seeing things like work for two hours from the beach, you know? And I'm like, bullshit, you cannot work for two hours and make a living. Like, let's be real people. You did not just work for two hours. You have worked for 80 hours and for, for two years or five years or whatever. And now you are reaping the benefits of that. Like that's kind of what we were talking about earlier is like, we both are not at a point where we are like, we can just, and not even like phone it in, but that we can just relax, that we can like sit back and relax. Yeah. But this is, see, this is, this is why we're like such good friends because like we're real with each other and we're not sitting here trying to like impress each other and be like, Oh my gosh. I mean, I have been that person that's like, I have $420 in my bank account and I have a car payment that's 390 of that. <laughs> so yeah. who, like, what am I going to do? And then the work comes, you know, because you plant the seed, but it is stressful. It is, it is mind like killing and soul crushing at times yeah. to do that. And like you said, I mean, I did the same thing. I quit corporate so I could be with my kids more. And then I took a role as a consultant and then I'm working 80 hours a week again. I'm right yeah. back to doing the same thing. And it was great and the money was good, but it did not serve the purpose that I was seeking, which was to be able to have more of that time. So sorry, I did not mean to just take over your interview. No, no, no. But it's, it's helping me think of the thoughts of, when you work 80 hours for a company, you're not fulfilling yourself. One of the biggest lessons that I've learned is it's, it's not about the amount of time with my kids. It's about the quality of time with my kids now. So you're, when you work 80 hours mm, for okay. another company, you might have a benefit of getting more time with your kids because you're at a company and you can leave and you don't have to think about work. Um, but then you're, not fulfilled in what you need and your kids we don't understand that if you're not fulfilled they're not fulfilled and until you have gotten yourself mm -hmm. in a position where you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to be doing no matter how much your time is with your kids then it, it will benefit them when you're around them because they see you as i saw my mom hardworking as as she was my mentor your kids will see you as that mentor and they will acknowledge that factor. Now, your kids don't necessarily always see you as a mentor. When you go work for another company, you come home and it's not a part of you and it's not fulfilling you. There's there's mm -hmm. plenty of, of women who work for full-time companies that are getting that benefit. But for somebody like you and I that are entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. I, I could never work for another company and feel as if I was fulfilled in what I was doing. And, and partially mm -hmm. from that is one of the greatest things that I have the ability to do is give other people opportunity. The, you know, when I, when I put down the camera years ago and never touched a film camera again, people are like, do you miss it? And I was like, no, I honestly don't miss it. Cause you know what I get to do now? I get to hire people and I get to give people opportunities and I get to, I have crews of 90 people. I made 90 people get paychecks to take home to their families. I made that opportunity mm. for them. That is so rewarding. That is the most rewarding part of owning a company is the fact that I can then provide a need for other people for what they're trying to do for their careers, trying to come up a ladder. I will tell you this moment that we were working on a promo for Abbott Elementary two years ago and a show on ABC. It's, and it was a huge day. There was photography, video, EPK, digital, social, all that. 
and I had a production assistant, which in film terms is usually the bottom of the call sheet. It's the, 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 the job that, you know, you learn in this industry, you start as a production assistant and they came up to me mm-hmm. and tapped me on the shoulder. And he said, Mr. Molino, is there anything that I can get you? And I literally turned around and saw myself as that kid multiple years oh, ago. Wow. And I was like, shit for being that kid and thinking okay this guy owns this company like i'm never going to make it to that level i'll never be that good i might make it up to a couple levels higher than this but there's no way i'm going to be the guy that is in charge of everything and in that one moment when that kid said that to me i was like holy cow i'm i'm the guy i am the guy that's in charge of all of this right now and it It's just a humbling, self-rewarding, wow, I can't believe I've made it this far. And I've made it this far by based on two things. I took a giant risk that everyone has always said, man, you took a giant risk. And I took it. And I truly believe to this point that anytime I succeed in my career, it's because I jumped off a cliff. When you're just riding a wave and you're working for a company and you're you're, you're just on that mellow wave. You're never in, in, in surfing terms. You're never in the pipeline. You're never really in that section that is like risky. You're, you're just coasting along. So when you go into that pipeline and you take that risk to jump off that cliff, that's when all the reward can come back to you. That's when, that, that's when everything comes. Secondly, my family is priority and we, I even had a, a big Puma commercial that we were doing and I flew back the day of the shoot and, and everyone's like, wow, you're going to fly back. And I was like, well, it's my kid's birthday. And my kid has one, he has one fifth birthday ever. And if I mm-hmm. don't get to see my kid on his fifth birthday, then I, I'm never going to get that moment back. So I will have more Puma commercials. I have staff that can help me with those kind of things. Luckily, I'm to that point now. But I've always made the family and our plans a priority and and done my hardest to make that work. And and we do that as a company. Our my two business partners both have kids. Family is always first. So it is one of those things that mm-hmm. you can make it your priority and the work will continue to come. Mm-hmm. Yes. I and, and, and I like think that's something tangents. that. No. Oh my gosh. No, are you kidding me? Well, I mean, that's <laughs> hello. <laughs> that's like every conversation we have. True. <laughs> Start true. at one point. Here, like, here. Why here. did we actually, right, why did we actually start talking? What was the point of this conversation? <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. No, it's uh yeah, yeah, pretty much. Exactly. Uh, I think that's being a creative too, is because our mind is just always running and we're always just thinking and always doing and all of that. And I think it's interesting too, because, you know, when you talk about like priorities, that's something that, that's something that like, seriously in the goal setting space. And when I say goal setting, like systems, systems and process planning and everything, like I always tell people, you know, the goal really is just a means to an end. It's like, yes, you did it, you know, yay. But, but life is so much about like doing that one goal. I mean, honestly, like we shouldn't be focused on like that one goal. We call them goals, personal goals, professional goals, et cetera. But the underlying theme, the underlying foundation is, are we setting positive habits and are we creating priorities in our life so that we know what's important to us? And, and family is something that people often I hear, you know, I want to put my, I want to have more time for my family. I want to have more time for my family. But then that's typically sometimes the first thing that goes because it's almost like, well, they'll understand or, you know, they, they, they understand I'm in this season, I'm in this season and that's all good, fine and well. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. I understand. I have gone through seasons of my life where my family has, you know, unfortunately not been a priority of mine. And it's, you know, one of those things when you look back at your life and you think, man, I really regret that. I really regret that because, because I I can't see the value of what it did. You know, there's, there is no value there. So, you know, I, I have, I have, gone to therapy. I have had many discussions about this. I have, you know, I've, I've, I have overcome, I have dealt with that and, and, and moved forward from it. But I love to hear that priority as such an important kind of balance and factor in your life, because 
well, and whether it was, that was your priority, whether it was family or whether it was just that you're like, you know, I make, you know, surfing my priority and I surf as much as I possibly can. Like, I mean, it, it, I think the, 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 the basis or the, the, what I'm getting at is that just having those priorities, having your center, like your North star, I mean, they're, they're, your family's your North star. I say the same thing about, you know, Dan and I too. It's like, we talk about it all the time. Like our travel, our travel with each other, our travel with our kids, like mm-hmm. that is our North star. Those are the things that guide us back to center that get us back to who we are as a family and who we are as individuals as well. And I know, I mean, I, I see the, all the amazing places that you guys go and I'm actually just jealous that we haven't been invited on one of these trips. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, I guess you did invite me on this. It would be so epic. We just, we just got to make it happen. You said there though, that's another thing that I've recently learned in business. I took a master class with my bank this, my banker is really close with us and, and she's really good about bringing opportunities so that I can learn how to run a business. Cause I have no idea how to run a business. I'm, I'm running a giant business without knowing how And my two business partners, they're both creatives too. So we're three creatives running a business. The, the biggest thing we just learned, we were, we were starting to talk about acquisitions and we made the Inc 5,000 list. And all of a sudden people started talking about acquiring our business and they wanted to buy it. And, and I had no idea that, wow, I, I guess I, I could sell my business one day. And I and it didn't even go into that in that way. I went into this business because I loved what I did. I loved filming. Filming became my job. I took something that I finally found a skill set for that I was naturally good at and developed it into a career. And with all the classes that I've been taking, with the acquisition and starting to prepare for a possible sale of the business, I learned um, in entrepreneurial world, starting from the end of your business and working your way back is much better than starting a business and not knowing what your end is. And so you learn when you're when you're starting to do acquisitions and things. I read I've been reading a ton of books lately on on the sale of your business. And a lot of people sell their business because they have a medical illness. They have a family, something that happens. They, you know, someone passes away. The business partners dissolve all that. That is a reactive sell of your business. A proactive sell of your business is when you go into a new business, you go, why am I starting a new business? How many years am I going to be in this business? What what money do I want to sell this business for? And, and money, a lot of people, for me, money was always a bad word. And I was like, well, I don't want to say like, well, when I'm 50, I need $10 million. And because that was the unachievable goal. But what it was is what you said, it was Mm -hmm. a goal. So now what I've done is I said, okay, I want to retire in five to 10 years. I I need this much money to retire. How do I get to that? And you work your way backward. Mm -hmm. Life is is a similar circumstance that we don't do. We just continue going through life, but we don't plan. You know, you plan for the next event. You plan for marriage and you plan for kids mm-hmm. and you plan for college you plan for all these things but what you don't do is go okay say i'm actually going to die at 80 miles, 80 years old and as morbid as that sounds if i'm going to die at 80 let me back it up at 60 i want to be done so i have 20 years to to operate mm-hmm. before i die without a job at this at this and so they kind of correlate to one another where a lot of what we've been developed is all this reactiveness in life. And we're not proactive about life and how we do things. And business is the same way. Entrepreneurship is the same way. When, if I were to start another business tomorrow, I would know my end all point. I would go, Oh, I'm going to sell this business. I'm creating this business because I'm going to sell it. This is who I'm going to sell it to. This is who it would interest. And I would know the back end of my business before I started a new business. Oh, that is such great advice because I don't think that I've thought about my business in that way at all. Other than I think that I would like my kids to have the opportunity to take it over. And I don't mm-hmm. even know what that looks like, honestly. I don't, not really sure. Like I have this like relative vision, I guess, 
but I don't, you know, and I, and then I guess it also comes down to if they want to, because I want them to live their own lives and I don't want them to feel this pressure of like having to continue, you know, their mother's mission or their mother's purpose, you know, I want them to have their own life. So good to know that because, because then you can start with this interest to you and you can start honing her skill sets for that. But you also know, I want to hand it down. I'm not create. I didn't create my business to hand it down. I, mm. I kind of see my kids. I don't see their interest in what I do just yet. They're still too young. Um, but I also kind of mm-hmm. feel like, no, I'd rather sell this and have them have their own opportunity and then continue this on. So I have mm-hmm. a plan that eventually I'm going to sell this business and then my, my kids will do their own thing. There, there's also for me, there's a giant gap in between when I want to be done working and when my kids would start working that I, I mm-hmm. that get, that gap is too big that I think I would get rid of it first. There's a book that the whole class that I took was based on. It's called The E-Myth. If I had read this book when I first when, when I was first starting this business, I would have restructured my whole business based on the E-Myth. And it's the entrepreneurial myth. And it's a book that basically talks about working on your business and not in it. I was in my business so much that I wasn't working on it. And when I finally removed myself from working in my business and I could work on it, our business was scalable. Our business was sellable. And basically the whole premise of the book is, you know, you can't, you can't vacation if you're always in your business. When we were talking about selling our business and there's two ways that someone comes to your business and says they want to buy it, they go, how many vacations? The, the number one question is how many vacations do you take a year? And there's two responses. Typically the one guy who's like, Oh, I, I don't I never take vacation. I, I've got, we're, we're so busy. I'm always working on it. And then there's the other guy who goes, Oh, I take, uh, you know, every year, my family, we take three or four vacations, we plan them out. And, you know, we schedule it around big up things that are happening in business. Well, guess what, the guy who's going to acquire the business is looking at the guy who is not always working in his business, because he knows that guy is needed to run the business where the other guy has figured out how to make himself not needed to run the business. So that business is mm-hmm. more a potential offer for him. Then he knows I'm not going to need this guy. I'm mm-hmm. not going to need to do the work this guy's doing. This guy has figured out how to get this business to run itself. I love that. I'm going to check that book out for sure. Because I think that that's similar to, it's similar to what, not necessarily a book that I've read, but I think it's similar to what I think, you know, my my husband and I do, what Dan and I do when we come to like investment planning and stuff, you know, I mean, he's, mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that Dan is like the money bags in the bank of our family. Because <laughs> the, bank, the bank of Maria is always broke. So, um, but I think that that's some of the stuff that they ask us to consider and to think about even just how are we kind of creating to your point, that vision for our future, like how are we creating, what are we doing now that's going to set us up for the future that we want? Because I mean, I, I have huge aspirations, dreams, goals just for my retirement life that mm-hmm. is going to need a ton of financial backing. Oh, I always tell Mr. Smith to get after it because we got to, we got to keep saving this money and, and, and make, and making money in the process, you know? So, so working through that and what does that look like? Even I would say at our brokest, you know, like at the beginning of our marriage or like when we were making transitions or bringing kids into the world, all that stuff. One thing we have never relented on is our desire to travel and take trips and vacations. And, you know, when we both, when I, when we both were had corporate jobs, I mean, he's still in corporate and, and, and thriving and doing very well, but he's in that positive situation that you had, you know, kind of talked about earlier, you know, like that enjoys it and like sees the benefits, the value, all of that. And I think that's amazing when people have those types of, of roles to support them in. But for us, you know, we, when we were both in corporate roles and we were using a lot of like points and and free flights and everything just to like take a weekend away or go here or go there. And I don't like, we don't regret any of those. Like I will never regret a trip that I take. I'll never regret travel. And it is the one thing consistently when I work with 
well, with anyone, with women, with men, with individuals, groups, corporations, whatever. I mean, I always say that's why I have like a do the dang, it's like, call it, I call it like a do the dang goal. Like just get it done. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one of those things where, because it's, you know, we always put off like saving for the thing that we know is going to fulfill us or is going to give us life, which is typically the trip, the, the cruise, the, 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 whatever it may be, you know, the, the concert, the weekend, the experience, you know, and those are the things mm-hmm. that will always give you back so much more than you put into it. I and mean, at least that's, that's the hope of course. But, but for the most part, we've never regretted a trip that we've taken. We've never regretted spending that money going because those are things that like I will take with me forever. And 20 years back, man, I would be a force to be reckoned with because I just know so much more that I would bring to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's why you do this because you're trying to capture that person who is younger and thinking about doing this and, and give them the, the sense that somebody didn't, you know, you want to grab that one soul and help it and say, here, let me, let me help you do this and teach you my mistakes. And hopefully you listen. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're young, you're naive to listen sometimes, um, unless you can really catch on to a certain thing. So, I speak, speak a lot at Belmont College to the college students, and I was kind of a hypocrite to myself because I was, you know, they all were like, well, we want to be in the film industry. We want to do what you do. And I was like, great. What do you want to do? And a lot of them were like, I don't know. We just want to do what you do. And I was like, well, so here's, here's, my, here's, here's my advice on that. You don't have a certain title or a certain something that you're seeking after in this career path that you're going at if you want to be a director and you don't know it yet and you're just doing that it could take you 10 it could take you 15 years to become a director in this industry if you then can say to yourself well i i like the idea of being a director and in five years i'm going to be a director then you can start honing your path to get to that end goal and you'll get there a lot faster if you don't know what it is it takes a lot longer hence such as my life. I didn't know what I wanted mm. to be. So it took me so long to get to the path that I was on. And the biggest fear that I have is that the way that our academic system works, it's like high school, college, career. And I didn't, I, I wasted mm-hmm. all that time going through all those steps and, and trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do. And it, it just doesn't cater to it sometimes when you're like me, where you don't know what it is. And I meet a lot of people who go, well, I, I don't know what I want to do. And it scares me. And I'm like, well, it should scare you. And fear is good because fear is jumping off a cliff. Fear will help you make decisions on things. Mm-hmm. Eventually it will come, mm-hmm. but just don't rush it so much sometimes. Yeah. The, well, and I think that that's the frustration with some of these like 30 under 30 and 40 under 40. You know, when I was younger, that's like what I aspired to. You know, I wanted to be one of those people. And then I think, gosh, you know, I don't even like I, you know, I was in, I was raising kids and doing all of these other things. And, and that's great. But I think that there is such a, you know, especially, and I would say this too, especially for women, because I know I want to transition into this amazing thing mm. that you're now doing with women. But one of the things that, I think we internalize when we see all of that and social media makes it no easier is that we always look at these people who, well, we see their highlights, we see their end result. We don't see the work behind it, but we also put this pressure that like, if we haven't achieved a certain thing by a certain age, then eh, it's probably, it's lost for us. We have to get out of this mentality of thinking that if you don't bloom before you're 25, well, you know, it's just not going to happen. I have learned so much, you know, since I was 25. I mean, I had my first kid at 25. I had my, you know, second one at 27, my third at 34. And I think about just even that. I knew so much more and was so much more like emotionally mature, just everything of having my, from my first to my third. And so when I apply that to like a business perspective or just a life perspective, it's like, gosh, it's because, yeah, we have to grow through things. And I always tell people who don't know like what they want to do or they don't, they, they can't see it because I think that the frustrating thing for someone who's like a type A, like myself, who's also a creative because they kind of compete against each other mm-hmm. a lot. There's like that sense to just like let go mm-hmm. and let be and be free. But then there's that part of me that's like, no, 
but it's not in a planner. It's not written down. It's not time blocked on my calendar and color coded that I, I feel like I have to know all the time, like what I'm going to be doing. I need to know in a year from now, where am I going to be? And I really work through to like visualize that and plan that. And I will do like visualization techniques and okay, you know, this is where I'm like physically going to be in one year from this time. And the thing is, is that those are absolutely great. And they're amazing practices to do because I do think it helps guide us. And I totally believe that when we put things out in the universe and we, we really do think about things consistently that our, our mind works, you know, in tandem with our body and our just kind of like spirit, whatever, you know, to make it happen. And so I do, I do, do firmly believe that because there are things that I have thought about that I'm like, oh my gosh, that actually happened. And I just like, that was a dream of mine. But I always tell people like, what are you passionate about? What are you, you know, when you don't, I meet little kids and I think to your point, asking kids like, you know, or even college students, because let's be honest, they're still kids. And, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? You know, what are the things that light, light you up? You know, what are your passions? What are your hobbies? Like those are always good I guess, and questions for me to ask them. And I think that we don't put enough emphasis and focus on it being okay. I think the cool thing is, is that we, when I never want to confuse people in thinking that I have all these answers. No one has all the answers. I mean, hell no, no one does. No one has everything figured out. Life is just one giant experiment and experience that we are all going through. But I do, I do believe that there's balance. Like I think we need to have a general direction, but I don't think we need to know exactly what we want to do or what we want to be at the age of five or six or seven. And I always try to tell my kids, like, I don't really care what you want to do with your life, but I really want to, I really want to hone in on who you're going to become. Like, I want you to be a good person. I want you to give back. I want you to like be kind. Like if, in a world where you can be anything, freaking be kind, you know, be nice to people, like smile and, you know, laugh, enjoy life. But like, I don't expect you to have all the answers at the age of 13 or 15 or six. Yeah. You know, what's funny about what you said. There's a couple of things. You were talking earlier when you said entrepreneurs aren't honest and they're like, oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing this and look at me, blah, blah, blah. Um, there, there's sometimes there's, there's two folds to that. First of all, everyone's Instagram and Facebook that has kids looks like your kids are freaking angels. When God knows every time that camera's off, you're like, smile for this photo or I'm not giving you a snack. The moment right. where you're trying right. to show, you're trying to show everybody that your life is perfect, but there's also a manipulative drive that we can do to ourselves where when we talk up ourselves we honestly believe that we are in that and that gives us our our um a push to get to where it is that we are some people take it, mm, it mm -hmm. it's a it's a big balance because some people take it too far and they're like i am just mm -hmm. this and then they're arrogant but if you can to me because, you know, I, I've been known when I was starting my business where we didn't have much going on. And then somebody would be like, what's going on? But like, oh, so much. And it's a sales technique. It's, it's I am so busy that you need my business. You need me. Look at me. I'm successful. I You need to figure out what it is I'm doing because I'm important. And it works in mm -hmm. terms of social media it works in terms of things there's a there's a well-known cinematographer in this town who would post photos as as if he was on if he was the main person on the sets doing all this and he wasn't he was just the guy in the background doing it but guess what he's one of the most successful people today in the industry because he made everyone believe mm -hmm. he was so good everyone started to think I need to work with him because he's so good at what he does. There, there's a small bit of manipulation that people do as an entrepreneur to help grow your business because you don't, you know, you, for example, I'm going to take you, if someone's like, how's your business going? You're like, Oh, I do this podcast and it's really not successful. And, and I'm just doing it because, you know, I, I just enjoy talking to people and, and you downplay it. Do you think anybody's going to go on and look for your podcast right. when they're looking at podcasts? They're like, no, you go, oh, mine's amazing. I just spoke with this person and this person. They're exciting. Guess what? You now have another viewer. You have somebody else that's going to listen. They're going to tune in. They're going to find more interest mm -hmm. in that. So mm -hmm. why you have entrepreneurs who are afraid to 
tell you the the story. I don't consider myself an entrepreneur at this point because I've, I've done so much of that stuff that I now have the company. I have people that work there and stuff. I feel like I can be more confident to pull back and and reveal what's behind mm-hmm. the the curtain and say, here's here's what I really experienced in getting to where I am. Um, and I, I end up forgetting mm-hmm. all the hard work that I honestly put in to get to where I am. Well, Brianna says it to me all the time. My wife, for those who are listening, mm-hmm. she's like, you know, you people take for granted the hard work that her and myself put to build this company. I, I wouldn't have this company mm-hmm. if it weren't for my wife. She was the motivational aspect. She's also the head of finance for our company. She's the one She's the type A that you are, and I'm the creative ADD. So if I didn't have her, I'd never have this business. I wouldn't have any of this stuff. I can say that with full confidence and not feel like that takes away from what I've done. But she needs to be right up here on this platform with me because she was here from the beginning. She moved out and took Mm -hmm. the risk to move with me. And honestly, when I moved out here, the whole point was you know, you can stay home with the kids and you can help raise Madison and we don't have to have daycares and that. And she lost her soul. She, that would, it did not work Mm. for my wife. She wanted to be working. She Mm -hmm. didn't, she was like, I'm home with our kids by myself all day. I have no one to talk to I, who've been out trying to do drum up business, am tired. I get home. I don't want to listen to anything. My wife wants to be a chatterbox because She's had no one but a one-year-old to yeah. talk to all day. And so there's massive conflict there. And so then when she started working and she started having other people to talk to and having more of a life outside of raising her kids, she became into her personality and her things. And then it was our relationship was better based on that and things. So like you said, there's no, mm-hmm. there's no answers to anything. And there's no, there's so many people who write different books and, have different opinions on on how to go through all this but like you said it's just experience and it's learning and it's listening that gets you through life yeah yeah and i actually that's a fantastic oh you just teed yourself up for this amazing thing you're doing with women entrepreneurs (laughs) yeah i talk about about the female part of everything is the fact that you know with my me talking about my mom my sister raising me female opportunities and things and and being equal and all that is very important to me. And it's very important for my daughter to see. I want her to know she has every opportunity that anyone else has. So a couple of years ago, I started this thing that was women in film. And, and I had had a bunch of meetings with some women and they all, I was like, do you know this this other female? And do you know this female that's in the industry? And they're like, no, I don't. I don't. I don't. And I was like, man, this doesn't make sense. So we started a women in film collective that we would do that was just an event. And it was just all females. And it was just a way for females to meet other females in our industry and get get to know one another. Because I, I truly do believe that you don't win a war by yourself. You win a war as an army. And if you can all come together, you can all succeed much faster and get more opportunities because you know, you might, I always tell this to two people that are in this, that are competition. You got a producer and a producer and you go, well, yeah, but there's going to be a time that that producer is booked and you want that producer to say, well, I'm booked, Mm -hmm. but I know this other woman who's not booked that could take this job. And that's Mm -hmm. how it kind of works together. Even when you're in the same position, you can work together and you can both rise up and we can all, if everyone works together, we can all rise to the top. You don't need to do the a, the, the old method of if I squash this person, I, I advance. Not, not today's world. There's just too much opportunity out there to squash anybody. So now just recently we're, I had a group of women that I had met with that were directors and creative directors at companies. And they were talking about, you know, just the opportunities that they were getting weren't that great. 
some of them were even saying that some of the opportunities that the ideas that they created, somebody would say, that's great. And then they take their opportunity and they'd give it to a man and the man would do the job. And I was just like, that is this, this, that shit doesn't fly. I'm sorry. But if you come up with opportunity Mm -hmm. and you come up with the idea, it's yours to implement. And so I took this group of women and I was like, look, I've met so many of you. You're so, you're hardworking, you're, you're creative, you're all this. I'm going to put you all together and we're going to create this collective. And I don't know what it's going to be, but you guys all just need to meet one another because you're all trying to work separately and you're all trying to win your own battles separately and you need to work together. I, one of the biggest things you learn when you do the collective is who's going to rise to the top, who's going to take the lead. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, whatever it is, there's always a leader in the group and then there's followers, there's worker bees. The best way to ever do figure this out is to take everybody to an escape game. And when you get in the escape rooms, those escape room games, <laughs> you see instantaneously who mm-hmm. the leaders are because they're like, okay, great. Here's what we're going to totally. do. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And, and man, they are, mm-hmm. they are excellent for businesses. If you want to do a work environment thing and just see who your leaders really are and how they take it everyone's positions instantly happen. And and there was two women in this group that said, we're going to take the lead on this. We want to do it. We're going to, we're going to create the mission statement. We're going to do it. And so that is, you can see the success level in the leadership. And again, you and I talked about this. It was all formulated by a man, by myself, but I'm willing to take a step down and say, once the leader once the leader presents themselves, then I'm willing to step down. Now, if I put them all together and not one of them showed leadership skills, I would still have to be at the top to go, let me keep this going. Let me, I'm going to have to keep pushing this. That's the mm-hmm. same in corporate mm-hmm. environments. Sometimes it's sometimes you have to push up to the leadership role and then you can step down. I'm not saying that every company is opening up seats at the leadership table. I think there's a lot wrong. There's a lot of industries right now that are trying to fix the diversity Mm -hmm. and inclusion, LGBTQ, female veterans, all of that. They're fixing in an incorrect way Mm because they're not making seats at the main table. They're trying to fix the bottom and they're like, well, look, we're a diverse company because we hire all these diverse people down here. And it's like, no, you're not because up at the board, you're still a bunch of old white men. Um, So, that doesn't make you a diverse company. It also mm-hmm. doesn't make you a diverse company because you just pointed out why you're a diverse company. I should be able to look at your company and say, you're a diverse company because there's colors and ethnicities and mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that your your company is beautiful just from the outskirts looking in. I don't need to tell you my company is diverse. You can go on to see who works for my company and you can make that decision for yourself. That's That's what the problem mm-hmm. is now is that everyone's trying to you know there's there's certain businesses in my industry that are saying that they're women owned and they're only hiring females and that's an overcorrection to the wrong extent because you need you need different opinions all across the board you can't just go i'm all female this is going to mm-hmm. fix the problem yeah females at the top 100 percent there needs to be females on top. I'm, I'm trying to create opportunity for that. And I will always try and create opportunity for that. I'm a three male run company. So a lot of people would say, well, where are the women at the top of your company? Why, why is it owned by three men? But when you start a small company as an entrepreneurship and you have business, the, the owners of the company, it's hard to say, all right, let's bring in more owners of the company. But I have a head of production that's female, head of finance that's my wife, it's female. It's, I have a diverse company. I have all those things. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's still a problem that needs to be fixed. And I think that people are going about it in a forceful way and not in a or organic way, I guess is the word. It's, it's, mm, yeah. it's a much I easier agree. way to fix it. Yeah. Like a knee-jerk reaction. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like, yes. like what you were talking about earlier with like a reactive approach and a proactive approach. Yeah. To, th- right. you know, to, to, to your business, looking at it backwards, you know, that it's the same thing. It's like, we've, we, we've realized, oh, wow, women are valuable. It's absolutely a balance. And I think that we have to, we do have to hire them to your point. Like we have to hire them at the entry level, but we also have to elevate them to the mid and the senior levels of, you know, of, of any business, whether that's a, whether that is a, a startup or a female run business or a corporation, you know, or entrepreneur business, like in, in, in any aspect, we, we all need each other. I need the ideas. That's why I always say like, I, you know, eventually in this lifetime, Dan and I will go into business together because we work really well together because I really enjoy working with him. <laughs> like we, we, we work really well together. We, you know, we, we kind of bounce ideas off each other. Like, you know, kind of like we, we were saying, like, you know, where, where his strong suits lie, you know, my weaknesses are, and I'm very aware of them. And then where my strengths are, you know, he's not so, you know, it doesn't think sometimes in, in those terms, you know, I am more of the risk taker. I'm the person who is always ready to like jump off the cliff proverbially. I would never do it in real life, but, but like when I think about, you know, ideas, I'm always that person. Yeah. I'm always that person that's like, yeah, let's go do it. Let's go do it. Like what can it, what, like, what's the worst that can happen? I fail at it. Like I just, I fail miserably at it. I mean, I guess I'm willing to find out because I'd rather know and be able to walk away from it and say, yeah, well that didn't work out. So all right, I'm done with that. Let's move on. And so I love that that you're creating this environment for women to kind of coexist within each other. Because to your point, I think we still need those environments because we're not at a point. And I think that some women even feel that they're not at a point yet where they can let men in. And I think that's yeah. that's what I'm trying. I think that's where a lot of women who've either been in male dominated spaces or been in corporate or had their own business or their own startup, like they're looking to that future when they can say, let's all work together, but let's have that equal balance. You know, let's, let's have it where I don't, I'm not out there just looking for women. I'm looking for women and men, like let the best person win type of thing. And let's get together and make this thing happen. I'm fully aware. The opportunity is a key word here because, you know, there, there was a time in my industry where people were saying, I need this for a director. I need them to fit this mold so that I can show that I'm, I am doing my part. And then, so I'd go out and put people forward and they go, well, you know, their work isn't really that great. Can we just go back to using it? And I'm like, yeah, their work's not great because they haven't actually had the opportunity that that guy you're about to throw back onto this job has had mm. millions of opportunities. It is up to you now who is mm-hmm. me. You want me to fix your problems because you weren't doing this before. So I'm here to help you try and fix your problems. But you're not fixing your problems if you're not giving opportunity mm-hmm. because you're like, well, their work's not good enough. I'm like, great. That is because they, they don't have all that that this other person has had their whole life doing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there there is a real risk that has to be taken sometimes with everybody, but you just have to trust that the people putting that forward are going to surround themselves, like you said, as a community and lift everyone up, lift the entire process up and, and use, you know, I can, I saw, I'll put in my own reference. My strength is I've had plenty of opportunity because I am what I am. I'm a white male. I've had a lot of opportunity. So what my job is now is to bring on a female or a person of color or somebody else that hasn't had that opportunity and try and give them that opportunity and then use what mm-hmm. opportunities I've had to help them get more opportunity and to succeed when that time comes. That is my job mm-hmm. is my job is to say, you know what? I'm going to be aware that I've had all these opportunities. So now I'm going to help use that leverage to give other people opportunities. That's what we need more people in business doing. We need more mm-hmm. people to say, I'm aware of it. Not just go, well, this isn't fair. Now it's all women. That means it's sexist because it's the other way. No, it's not. It's just... Right opportunities and they they need it 
So give them the help because guess what? You're going to get the next job too. You, you'll get set, you'll get twelve offers. They're one, and you're going to cry over their one opportunity. No, like give it to them. I always say to a lot of a lot of people in my industry are watching people on social media and going, "Why am I not working? And why is he working? And blah blah blah." Like and starting to feel insecure on themselves. And I go, "Well, that's their time. Their time is right now." So they're getting all the opportunity and they're getting yeah. to show you what they can do. And then guess what? In two months time, they're going to be sitting on their couch watching you and your opportunity. And you're not going to be on at that point. You're not looking at social media because you're too busy having the opportunity time. And so then that's your time. And then that'll go away. And then someone else's time. Mm-hmm. Everyone needs time for opportunity. So that's sit back as an entrepreneur, as a freelancer, and you go, okay, that's cool. That I'm so proud of them. And when you honestly reach out and you say, I'm proud of you. I had a friend of mine who just directed, he was the director of photography for the show Winning Time, which is one of my favorite shows. And I posted on my social media, I'm so happy for him. And he wrote me, that was honestly the mm-hmm. nicest thing ever. And I was like, you know, it feels so much better to just lift people up than to just pull them down because they're getting the opportunities at that moment mm-hmm. in time. And when, and then when I need him yes. he's right there and he wants to come work with me. And so now we formed a bond because I didn't, I wasn't selfish at that time. And I wasn't like, Oh, I want, uh, that would have been a dream mm-hmm. job for me. I see a lot of people get dream jobs that I, as a company owner, I still want. And I'm just like, I'm, wow, that's mm-hmm. cool. I'm glad they got that. That's that's pretty cool. The humbling world when mm-hmm. you can just be yes. a little more kinder, like you said, Maria. Just It's just uh, all I wanted. I used to be that 40 under 40 and all that stuff. I actually just talked to a PR person. We were talking about my business partner getting it. What my goal is, is for somebody to say, oh, nice. you know, wow, look at Jeff was really, he had a really successful company. So he's a really good dad. If I can have a successful company and be mm-hmm. a good dad, then there's nothing I've not done in my life. That that is all that matters. Be it, and be a good mm-hmm. husband. Obviously, that's that's the mm-hmm. hardest one of all. Is like to to juggle all three of those things and to try and make all three work. Yeah. When I think about just creating, you know, my own vision for my life. To your point, those right. That's like the holy trinity, right? Just make sure that. You have the, the the family intact, the children, you've set them up, you know, but you have the meaningful life and that doesn't necessarily equate to, you know, all the money in the world or this, you know, thriving, you know, com- company that you sell for millions of dollars and all that other stuff. It's the, you know, am I, am I like, am I like good with myself? You know, like, can I sleep at night? And, you know, is, did, do I have a great relationship with my spouse? Do I, you know, do I love and adore my kids and are they thriving? And, you know, have we done kind of all the things to get them to the point where they can go out and live their lives? Yeah. I think, I feel like that's, that's just like the goal, regardless of entrepreneurship. That's like the life vision for, especially for parents. Somebody said to me, you know, you guys have such a good business and you took away some of that family time and you really just went full force into this. You would have a huge, you'd be really successful and you'd make a lot of money and all that. Looked at my future. I looked at that for in plans and and how hard I could work in this industry. But honestly, I am Mm -hmm. so comfortable to where I've gotten in my business that I can enjoy my life. I can travel and I can do all those things and then make the money that needs that I need that isn't a surplus. And so when you do figure out that plan for the end of your life, if you can make it an attainable and not a surplus, it, it makes it a lot more achievable to get to where it is. I think people just they they imagine themselves as millionaires in this and that. And that's never been my goal. I love that. Oh my gosh. I could just sit here and talk to you all afternoon, but I know you have to go get the kids and tell Bria said hello. But oh, also quick, two last things. What is your do the dang goal? What is that goal for you? In terms of business-wise? Sure. Or life in general. I want to have the success of <laughs> a successful company in my past and then I want to be able to focus on 
my kids and my family and traveling the world and seeing all there is before I leave this planet. I love it. That's fantastic. I love it. All right. Last thing. Where can people find you? If they want to, if they want to track down Jeff Molina. Playing pickleball. <laughs> they can find me traveling <laughs> in Italy. They can find me on Riverside Entertainment. They can find me by emailing me. You, you, I'm happy to give out my information to you because I love when people contact me about things like this. Yeah, that's what I always ask. I mean, your website is what? Riverside Entertainment, is it .com or? Riverside-ent.com. And then my email is jeff okay, at gotcha. riverside-ent.com. Gotcha. All right. So anyone who's listening wants to learn more about or director of, of, of photography or anything like movie or just even life related. Jeff is seriously one of the coolest people that I know. And yes, you. and your better half is amazing. <laughs> so, yes, she is. Uh, we just got to get together now. Oh, it will happen before this year is up. That's my next goal. There you go, Maria. That's my that's my goal is to make sure that oh, we hang out before this year is over. There it is. Well, thank you so much. I just appreciate you. And I just think that what you do is super cool. And I just love hanging out with cool people. It makes me feel cooler. So I appreciate you sharing the vision for, you know, your life and, and putting your own your own stamp on it because i think that's the coolest piece of all of it is that when we can we can define our lives in a way that fits us and we don't try to fit some mold that um we feel compelled to to fit and i think you are just a living breathing example of that so thank you so much for your time and for being open and sharing thank you thank you for having me on here i love this Yay. and i can't wait to hear this Thank you for listening to this episode. It would mean the world to me if you could leave a rating and review of the show and subscribe on your favorite app. You can also find us on our YouTube channel, Creating Visionaries. If there is something that stuck out to you in this conversation, send me a message on Instagram to let me know. Until next time, keep creating the vision for your life.